I want to thank all of our listeners for several years of dedicated and loyal listening throughout the Halo Talks 400 podcast completed to date. We're going to 1,000 by 2024. If you're so inclined, we'd love to have you go to iTunes for us, fill out a review so we can keep this podcast rolling globally. We are now on Chartable's top lists and moving up the charts. Also, if you want to educate yourself in the new year, please go to thehaloacademy.com. Take a look at what we've done with 150 executives in the Halo sector to get them smarter, get them prepared for capital raises, and also more winning. Thanks. Have a great season. Let's go. on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of bringing to Halo Talks NYC, Doug Young, Connecticut, EaseAlytics. We're going to talk about AI. We're going to talk about software. We're going to talk about profitability of your business. And we're going to start now. Doug, good to meet you. Hey, good to meet you too, Pete. Listen to a lot of your talks and it's, uh, it's exciting to be on one myself. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, we look forward to uh, having you share some uh, Wisdom in 2023 uh, to-do list items for our audience here. So you want to talk about, you know, you've been in the industry and, and software for a while, you know, talk about how you, you know, got to this point, saw the frustration, saw that people, you know, wanted to pay to solve it and, you know, where Usalytics is going. Yeah. So um, my background in technology started back in the late nineties in e-commerce and I was fascinated by the, um, possibilities of the internet. And then from there, I went into the SaaS um, industry, software as a service, and it was in the ed tech industry. So I've been in the fitness industry just a little over four years now. But what I brought from the SaaS experience in the tech industry is I found that one of the most important things in software is onboarding of clients and product adoption. And um, I learned that when we first sold to private equity, I was, I was focused on KPIs like mem- uh, customer retention. You know, we had like a 96% retention rate, net promoter scores were through the roof up around 70 all the time. So that was great. You know, in my mind, and I was the chief customer officer then, in my mind, those were the KPIs that were important. But what I learned, yeah. rapid, what I learned rapidly from private equity was, is that we were missing the boat on our existing customer base. Uh, if you looked at metrics like annual recur- annual uh, revenue retention, what we what they saw was that even though we were doing really good at retaining our customers, we were doing really bad at getting more value out of them over time. And in fact, right. most of the time when they were renewing, they were renewing at lower contract values. And so we really had to take a step back and say, how can we understand our customers? How can we look at data regarding their product adoption? So we really dove deep into customer product adoption things. And we learned what are the milestone behaviors that we want our customers to do. So if, if we have X product and we want them to, to uh, renew with it instead of dropping it from their contract, we need to make sure that they did you know, this behavior and then this behavior and then this behavior. And it, you know, it could be like the first time needs to happen within three weeks. And then they need uh-huh. to do X behaviors at a certain frequency. And I see that same thing with... Um, the fitness industry now. There's just a ton of data. I think mean, one thing that is really super fascinating about this industry is that the systems that are in use, the member management systems, they collect 
a boatload of member behavior data. And there are a lot of businesses out there that would kill to have that richness of data. And a lot of it's just kind of sitting there unused. So what we're trying to do is kind of bring that power and there's you know, new technologies, machine learning and AI that make a lot of this really easy and um, can scale. And, are, and they're not just like super expensive things that only Fortune 500 companies can afford anymore. It's accessible to businesses of all sizes right now. Yeah. So when, when you're talking to a prospective client, who is the person inside of the company that is, has the highest frustration that you're solving? Or once they get on board, who manages this system? So it, it, often there's a, somebody that is either they have a passion for analytics and data and they feel like that they're kind of lacking in that area. They're, they're hearing about all of these possibilities out here with predictive analytics, you know, which I can talk a right. little bit more about. Um, AI, they're starting to see things like chatbots being used, and maybe they're adopting those much more quickly because they're they're easy to understand. They're doing work for you, right? They're they're engaging with customers and helping solve problems. Um, but often these people don't have the time, and and that's a big problem we're seeing in the industry. We see a lot of interest yeah. in analytics, but people just don't have the time because traditional analytics have been very time consuming. At worst case, you know, they're still living in Excel and tabular reports. And I'm not knocking Excel. Excel is an important tool. It'll never go away. But it's very no. time consuming and limiting. And best case, it might just, they've just gotten data visualizations or, or traditional dashboards. And that's better, but it's still, it's still very limiting. And people struggle with that. And they, there's a sense among a lot of people that there's more out there that they should be doing but don't have the time to do it. And I think that's really what we can bring to the table is, you know, machine learning can do a lot of work for people that's just really time consuming. You know, it can process, you know, it can analyze thousands of trends inside a club's uh, member database and something that a human being just wouldn't have time to do. So I kind of view technology as, um, as a weapon, you know, basically yeah. to, to affect your, your playbook. Um, what are some of the things that people are doing with the software? What reports are the most important ones? And then as a result of what that report generates, what are the action steps that they're taking to reach those members that we think are most likely going to cancel this month? Or there's some trend that we've analyzed that is of concern. How do you kind of take them through the journey to get the result? Yeah, so there's there's a number of approaches. If somebody just isn't sure where to start, so we we'll usually try to narrow down a focus. So if they know that they have an attrition problem, and if the data backs that up, you know, then we'll kind of focus on on that effort. If they know that they want to increase, you know, revenue per member specifically, they're trying. They've seen that kind of flatline over the last four years and have struggled to get that up. Then we'll look for opportunities to do that. Um, there's also the analytics itself can find opportunities for people. So we kind of make a distinction with people. A lot of the, the people that come to the table, they they either feel like they're already data-driven or they want to be data-driven. And what we're finding with a lot of people who think that they're data-driven is that they're really data-informed and yeah. kind, of, kind of the difference between that. So for example, if you look at things like uh, digital ad campaigns, uh, so you run two different ad, digital ad campaigns. One of them has half the conversion rate at twice the cost. And you go, okay, right. No brainer. We, we're going to stop doing that one, and we'll go with the more the one with the higher ROI. Um, that's kind of data informed because it's it's kind of reinforcing, uh, helping you t 
to feel good about a decision that you're probably going to make anyway. And it's, it's in regard to something that you're already doing. So an example of, um, you know, finding a new opportunity. So we were working with a club that was really struggling with personal training penetration that, you know, over like five or six years, hadn't really been able to increase that above like 3%. And we're really, you know, they were focused on the PT sales process when new members signed up because intuitively knew they knew that that was the best time to sell personal training because that's when the member was most enthusiastic and that's when they're in front of a salesperson. And that was kind yeah, of data, data informed by the data, which if you looked at it, most of their members were buying personal training in their first month of membership. But when we applied you know, some machine learning models to that, we could see that they had a pretty sizable segment of specifically, and we see, we've seen this in a few other clubs too, it's kind of interesting, males over the age of 55 who were showing all the signs of this person should be buying personal training. They have a high propensity, it's, it's a purchase propensity model, it's called. So these are, these are members who are showing all the signs. And, and this is not just demographics. It's also behavioral stuff. So what, what do members who buy personal training after their first month of membership, what do those people look like? And so we were identifying this large segment of 55 plus year old males who hadn't purchased personal training yet, but had this high score of, you know, the, uh, a high propensity for purchasing personal training. We said, well, what about these folks? And they're like, well, we haven't really sold to, you know, people in that age group before and working with other clubs, we know that there are other clubs that are doing very well with that demographic. So it's, you know, is it a case of you can't sell to them or you just haven't tried? So they really took a step right. back. And again, this is where now you're becoming data-driven. It's causing you to, to do something different. And they said, okay, what can we do differently here? All right, we have some trainers who are really good with, you know, specifically fitness related to golf, you know, increasing the power of your golf swing. We have some trainers that have worked with people with rotator cuff injuries. I'm yeah, in yeah. my, I'm in my fifties myself. I've had rotator cuff surgery. You know, the way I work out now is much different than pre-surgery. There's just things I just don't do anymore. Um, so they, they found that, Hey, we could, we could develop personal training offerings specific to this demographic and the things that would be interesting to them. And we'll go after them. And that was, that was successful. So that was something they, they would not have thought to do prior to no. this opportunity um, being are revealed to them. Got it. So when, when you take a look at um, the return on investment for somebody to do this, how do you think about that from a selling side as well as, like if I save you one member that stays on for a year, that this specific month, I've already you've already paid 2X times the amount of the, the licensing fee. How do you, how do you, you justify whatever the price is and when do you get to a point where you actually pay for what the service is actually doing at a reasonable revenue share, if you will? Yeah. So like if you just look at the typical customer acquisition costs for clubs, they're probably running between 70 and $120 per member. And a lot of those members, you have no idea what value you're going to get out of them. They might buy your, you know, your lowest membership tier and stay for six months, or they might buy your premium membership tier and stay for 36 months and spend, you know, thousands of dollars a year in personal training. But you don't know that when you spend it up front. Um, the yeah. thing with the thing with our analytics is that, you know, we, we can tell you every member's value and potential value, you know, like what's your, what's the potential revenue loss if you lose this member over the next 12 months, what's their likelihood of canceling their membership in the next three months. So you can be proactive about um, retaining them. And at that point, it really becomes, about revenue retention 
And, it, you know, if you think about, again, that customer acquisition cost, $70 to $120 for an unknown member for like another dollar per member, you can now have behavioral analytics on all those members. And, you know, if you can't drive value from, you know, your member base for just a dollar a member, then probably not really trying. You're not, you're not making use of the tools, you know, and for us, it's, again, if you don't want to talk about attrition, we're not just trying to help people retain members because we have seen that that's not just going to make you successful. Just, just retaining bodies isn't, you really want to make it about revenue retention. So focusing, if you're going to focus attrition um, or uh, retention efforts, and if you're going to do any sort of effort, you know, if you're going to have like a high touch thing, you want to be able to, to focus on your highest value members first. So being able to prioritize that, not just the at-risk members, but your highest value at-risk members. You know, And I'm talking if you're going to do like anything that has a cost, a direct outreach from a general manager or a gift card or points from your, your uh, loyalty program or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, target those at your high value members that are at risk and you know everybody else can get a lower touch. Um, and then being able to separate the ones that you really shouldn't be trying to retain. Um, and, and there are some... You don't really need to retain all members um, in order to get an improvement in revenue retention. Gotcha. So if I'm a, if I'm a franchisee of Planet Crunch Orange Theory, is this system over time, you think, a system that the franchisor pays for or there's a tech ad fund, a co-op fund and they're basically like have a data scientist that they can afford at the franchise level? To say, hey, look, I'm watching your analytics just like I'm watching your revenue because to make sure I get paid my royalty. But I'm actually going to provide business optimization intelligence and let us do that for you. And you just run your 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 operation. When you see kind of the evolution of where of who manages this system. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it, it could definitely be at the franchise level and we have had talks about that, but I think right now what we're seeing mostly is, is that it's at, you know, within, within a franchise, it's a, a franchisee that has a multiple locations, probably, you know, three plus locations. And they're, um, they're seeing that there's something more that they could be doing. And so they're looking for, so right now there's the motivation of people I think if a, if a franchise just kind of tried to force feed this to their franchisees, um, you know, I think adoption right now is going to be limited, um, especially if you're like, you're talking a single location owner, they may not, you know, we've talked to some people like that and then just, they're not ready for a product like this. Um, cause it does, it does require somebody with, a, um, you know, the, a passion for, you know, that we can use data to make something better. And not that it's going to require a lot of time because one of the things that we work really hard with our product to do is make it easy to use. So it doesn't require a lot of your time to get uh, value from this. Not every, you know, very few clubs have a dedicated analyst. You know, even we've worked with some clubs that have, you know, 70 plus locations and they didn't have a dedicated data analyst. So um, we're we're trying to build products that don't require that. When you take a look at some of the, you know, early wins or, you know, if somebody uh, asked for a reference, you know, what are some of the, you know, storylines or club went on with the system or studio did this, did that, and now this is what came out the other side? Yeah. So one, um, one important one that I can think of just recently was a club that has been struggling for a long time with 
you know, just pro- profitability in general and total revenue has been flat for a long time. Revenue per member has been very flat and, and they have internally had a discussion for literally years about raising their prices, but have always been afraid to because they had some local competitors who were doing, sure. you know, their, their entry level was $10 a month. And so they felt they had to match that. And in their hearts, they're like, you know, are we even getting our customer acquisition costs back with some of these members? And we were looking at the data saying, you know, a lot of them, you aren't, you know, you're, you're selling these basic memberships primarily to males age 18 to 24. And that was their biggest demographic. And that wasn't really the demographic they wanted, but because of the, one of the things, you know, we thought maybe your pricing is attracting that demographic. What if you raise prices? And there was like this fear, like, what if we do, you know, uh, we want to, but what are the unintended consequences of that? So one thing about our tools, we have an anomaly detection tool called smart sites and it analyzes automatically thousands of trends and, and micro trends within a club. So if something starts to go outside of the normal or expected range, it highlights it. So it can very quickly detect whether something's going sideways or are unintended consequences. So they increased prices, um, twelve dollars for uh, to twelve dollars for a month to, or annual contract, and fifteen dollars for month to month. So you know, modest uh, price increase. And immediately, what we did see is we started to see some attrition among males age eighteen to twenty-four in that ba- that basic membership type. We started to see sales drop off um, to males age eighteen to twenty-four in that basic membership type. But we also saw total revenue starting to creep upwards. And average revenue per member was starting to go up pretty significantly. And um, there was no significant change among any other demographic. So that gave them assurance that, okay, really all that did was cause us to lose some of this demographic that we weren't really trying to, you know, skew towards anyway. Their, their average membership durations were well below average. Their average monthly spend was well below average. So the members that they were losing, they can live without. Um, and so, yeah. you know, the net effect was a positive one. Yeah, I was working with, uh, as an analogy, I was working with a group and um, it was a software company and they've got a very high churn rate, you know, like 30% a year on their, on their customer base. And, um, you know, the best way to, to, to affect the churn rate is just don't take on customers that are most likely to churn, right? That's like the first barometer, if you will, or, or door to go through. Right. Say, let's let's focus on businesses that have been around for a year, or been around for two years, not been around for six months, or are in a uh, situation where like we're their last uh, you know weapon that they're going to try before they go out of business. You know, because there's a lot of upfront costs of of ramping up clients. Um, right. You know, what, when you take a look at what the power of the software can do. Are you getting any requests or do you see requests potentially coming in 2023 to 2024 from companies that are, let's say, uh, let's say I own a uh, Crunch Fitness and you are a Massage Envy and we're in the same shopping center or plaza or mall or what have you, you know, is there a future use of this tool that says, hey, analyze for me all of the media I don't know about privacy laws and everything, but show me everyone that's a member of both of my locations, find out how many times they come to each one. And let's figure out like a massage envy crunch, like unlimited package or, you know, or VIP usage or refer a friend. It's not just for me, 
or we're going to refer a friend from like the super users of each one of those groups and cross pollinate. Like, do you see that as something that should be done, is being done, will be done after this podcast? We're going to get inbound inquiries on it. We're going to change the background. Of so, your- so were you, were you saying that the common owners of those two different businesses? I'm saying, if, I'm saying it could be common. Yeah, that'd be great if it was common. But even yeah. if it's not common, maybe there's a way to say, well, let's get easy letters to look at your data, my data. Maybe we'll, we don't share it collectively like they're the confidential depository. But let's figure out like who your best people are, who are mine on. Let's get them both as super users of our entities. I feel like there's a lack of co-op marketing or co-op intelligence taking place. So I wanted you to opine on that. Yeah, so we we haven't done anything like that. It definitely, if we're talking like common ownership of two different, like a massage envy and a, and a crunch location, if it's common owners, and you know, obviously it's just two different data sources. Then, so you got members over here, customers over here. You got members and customers over here, and you know, we're we're platform agnostic. We we can integrate with with anything out there. So it's just a matter of pulling that data um, into our into our data warehouse and and doing analytics on it. Um, we talk about starting to get into, um, you know, cross uh, different ownership. Even there, you know, the closest thing that we're getting to right now is moving towards possible benchmarking opportunities. So, um, and again, we're, we're not quite to the critical mass that we need for that. But so being able to provide, you know, if you're an HVLP in New England, um, some benchmarking data um, relative to other similar clubs in the same region. That that sort of thing, um, and and even there, you know, we've we've got to get, um, you know, we're very private about our customers. We we don't share any anecdotes or anything about customers specifically. We don't share anybody's secret sauce. We don't, you know, divulge who we work with, and we sign uh, MNDAs with most of our clients. So, um, so we're, we're and we've had requests from clients like we don't we don't want other people to know that we're using using your tool. Um, yeah, so, sure, sure. Understood. Yeah. Understood. So, you know, if somebody gets on this, um, you know, December, January, um, you know, how, how quickly does it take to get onboarded? Um, do you guys have like a, um, I don't know, for lack of a better term, like here's like a starter kit of what we're going to analyze and then we're going to come back to you with suggestions. Is it more consultative in nature and then kind of you fly on your own? Yeah. So one of the cool things is that no matter what, and, and you can do choose to use different products if somebody wants to use our attrition model, but not, for example, like the personal training purchase prediction. They don't have to. Those can be added anytime. But the onboarding is all the same. We're pulling all of the data from from the data sources that we can. And that's another, another strength of ours is that we've got good uh, partnerships and integrations with our our vendor partners. And so we we have typically deeper integrations to get data that we need because we go back way you know way back we'll take four years of history if we can get it and that's daily transactional so if if Susie bought a smoothie three years ago on a Tuesday we will have that data and that re- that typically requires a deeper deeper level of integration than you would typically get with just connecting to an API um, so the point there is that. Once we set the integration up, and that's all on our end, basically you're just signing a permission form for us to connect to your data sources, and then we're doing the rest because we have partnerships with those vendors. And so once that happens, you're onboarded for everything that we offer. So if you want to start very simply and you say, okay, 
Really what we want to bite off is the attrition risk right now. That's what we want to focus on. We can start there. And if they want to start adding more later on, you don't have to go through another onboarding. Um, and it's all subscription-based. So there's no setup fees. There's no, this isn't, we're not quoting projects. It's a subscription-based. So you start at this monthly subscription. If you don't add this product, then it's X amount a month to add that. And you can kind of scale up as you need to. And in terms of onboarding, there's just a few tasks that clients need to do. They need to kind of help us. Sometimes we don't recognize what their different membership types are. And we do groupings in that to kind of make the the visualizations neater and to, to help us with the, the data science, statistical validity stuff. You know, if they've got 150 different membership types, it's better if those are grouped into like 10 or 12. So helping us with that. And then we do a lot of handholding with people and that can be scaled also. If we've got, if, if you really got a lot of analytics experience and you just want, okay, just give me a login, I'm good. That's fine. But we also work with quite a lot of clients who, who really just kind of like, you know, teach me how to use this. And it yeah. can be everybody from the CFO is like, okay, what are the best five slides I could do for this board presentation? And we could show them visualizations for that. These, like, these are the, like, if you want to show this, this is a good one. Um, down to if they want to, if the company really wants to be data-driven and the best way to do that is to get more and more people access to these tools. So it's not just one person, you know, dispensing all this wisdom, but even down to like a fitness director in a location because we have analytics around class attendance and so if that fitness director is making decisions about class scheduling or programming or when you put this type of class when, or if you're trying to get, you know, more demographic, you know, a certain demographic to come in at a certain time, they, you know, here's how you use those analytics and we'll train. And maybe that's all they care about. That's the only analytics that they're yeah. ever going to look at is that. And we can, we can train that person. That's the ideal yeah. model. It's like we can train. You know, if you get, your CFO is going to look at different things, your CMO is going to look at different things, all the way down to GMs and fitness directors, and they're all going to have different. And right. we, we so, so, so in closing here, all the show notes will, uh, will include uh, Doug's information and uh, Easalytics, uh, so you can uh, check that out. Um, love what you guys are doing. Uh, hopefully it gets embraced yeah. uh, quickly by our audience here as, you know, measure you can only manage what you can measure so start measuring more things that are important uh so that'd be my my uh final quote here you got any uh quotes that you live by or youngisms that uh that uh, you got post-it notes or anything we got a big uh, quote library we're building up with the entrepreneurs like yourself so th this is probably a software uh, company specific one but steve jobs um kind of famously said once and i can't quote exactly what he said but he said something along the lines of it's more important to decide what you're not going to do than what you are going to do. And well, like it really helps. And that's kind of everything from product development and software to just, you know, processes like what, because you can't do everything. And sometimes you can get in a lot of trouble with trying to bite off everything and every customer suggestion you get, you're trying to implement and, and not really yeah. stepping back and thinking if that's the best thing to do. Um, and just if I can add one quick thing about that, about customer yeah. feedback, customer feedback is awesome. And I think everybody should be, should be getting it, should be doing net promoters, should be doing surveys. But the problem is you're only reaching maybe 10 to 20% of your members and member behavior data. That is kind of like the survey that you get of people who don't respond to your surveys. So they can't, you know, they can refuse to respond to your surveys, but they can't, you know, escape the the member they behavior the data that they've created exactly right the data wake 
Yep. Infolytics Data Week Consolidator. Uh, man, uh, great to meet you. I look forward to seeing you in person. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, and we'll get this out to uh, start the year and get people using this tool for 2023 wins on the board. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, bro. Thank you very much, Pete. You got it.